Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Dogs have been called man's best friend because they're eager to please and often simple to train, but not so with cats who are seen generally as aloof, independent, and untamable. But many people seeking the comfort of a pet choose cats anyway because they assume that they're relatively low maintenance. Cats don't just, uh, who don't adjust to a decimate domestic life or who exhibit troublesome behaviors are frequently abandoned on the assumption that they're untrainable. Now at last, there's a book that cat owners have been waiting for. It's called Decoding Your Cat, and it's from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, who was put together by the American College of Veterinarian Behaviorists to explain the species' mysterious actions and reactions and provides guidance for cat owners who would like to train their pets. I'm pleased to welcome its editors, Doctors Megan Heron, Deborah Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa to our show now. And uh, we invite our audience to uh, join in. If you have any questions for our guests, you can give us a call at 212 209 2877. Doctors, it's always complicated when there are three guests by phone. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that we can keep this thing uh, as uncluttered as possible. Uh, but let me begin with you, Dr. Heron, because you've worked with dogs a lot. Is the fact that cats have never been described as man's best friend a reason that some people are attracted to them as pets? <laughs> That's a great question. And um, I love that you pointed out the fact that people think cats are an easy, low-maintenance low mm-hmm. uh, uh, pet, um, when, when in fact they, they actually have quite a diverse personalities and and have a lot of needs that we don't expect that, that can be time consuming. Um, so, but, but I, I'd like to say there's, there's plenty of men and women out there who are going to call cat their mm-hmm. best friends. And I've known a number of cats uh, who love to cuddle and be petted. They purred a lot and let me know that they enjoyed being with me. So I'm not even sure why they get a bad rap sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it just stems from the, the fact that we have we have changed dogs' personality so much more from their wild ancestors than we have from cats. And, you know, if you look at the wild ancestors of cats, they essentially look and, and act almost identical. So there's a lot more to care for. And a lot of these sort of normal, natural behaviors can, can really become a nuisance and, and hard to live with if you aren't prepared for it. But if you read our book, we've got lots of information on how we can make it a breeze, right? We can provide for all those outlets, give them ways to be a normal, happy, natural cat and still be a loving, wonderful pet. Dr. Horwitz, I, I don't know if you're the one to ask this question, but the first sentence in this book is, quote, the problem with cat behavior is that it's hilarious, but it's more serious than it sounds. And it was written by David X. Cohen, who, as I understand it, is one of the original writers of The Simpsons. How did he come to write the forward for your book? Well, I'm not sure that I can answer that. He was uh, a friend of a friend. But uh, he did write that um, cats can be hilarious. I have two cats right now that constantly keep me laughing because they do all kinds of strange things. I think the misunderstanding comes from the fact that we haven't talked about cats and their personalities and the things that they like to do as much as we have about dogs. Mm. And when someone tells me, oh, I don't want to have a cat, I tell them, you haven't had the right cat yet. Cats have all kinds of different personalities. One of the cats I have now retrieves things that you throw for her. Mm -hmm. Like dogs. Like dogs. She'll throw Mm. it. She'll bring it back. She'll throw it. She'll bring it back. So that is what's called a dog-like 
behavior, but she's a cat that does that. The other one tells me things, like when the one that retrieves gets herself locked in a closet. She doesn't say anything, but the other cat <laughs> comes and finds the human and says, we're missing one, and takes me to where she is. So if you haven't lived with cats, you haven't learned that they're very intelligent, very agile, very can be very affectionate, and really interact with the people that live with them. So you're missing out on a lot, and the book will really help you see what cats are like and then mm. find the one that's best for you. And we'll try to address pretty much all of those behaviors and why they occur uh, over the next hour. Uh, Dr. Siracusa, uh, what's a veterinarian behaviorist? Is, is uh, the difference between the title and a veteran, veterinarian, the difference between an MD and a therapist? Uh, yes. So first of all, I would like to say that I'm one of those persons that Dr. Heron was saying, I'm a cat person. So I'm one of those that definitely likes cats over dogs. I should not say so because I work mm. with a lot of dogs too. Uh, but uh, yes, a veterinary behaviorist is a veterinarian that is a specialist in behavior. If, uh, uh, if you want to make a parallel like with an MD, with a physician, it would be uh, very similar to a um, physician that is a specialist in psychiatry, in human behavior. And actually, the, the uh, academic uh, uh, course, the academic pathway to become a veteran behaviorist is, is very similar. Uh, you go to vet school, uh, then you do an internship, which, which is a, a one-year um, general practice uh, uh, rotating through different services, and then you have a residency, which is three years of training, clinical training, only on behavior. But uh, let me clarify when I say only on behavior, it means, it means that behavior is the focus of your specialty. But it's mm -hmm. not the only thing you do because behavior, like uh, all other medical specialties, is profoundly uh, related and, uh, and uh, to, to all the other medical specialties. And we are always working together with other colleagues, other vets, to understand uh, uh, what is normal and what is not normal in that specific pet. Should I assume that all three of you have cats in your homes? Yes. I do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you what names you gave them, but the, the naming is always interesting. <laughs> um, now, Dr. Uh, Dr. Heron, uh, I've seen dogs clearly exhibit jealousy by getting between their owners and another dog. Do cats also exhibit jealousy? You know, that's a, that's a hot topic these days. Do pets experience jealousy? And, you know, you'll get two behaviorists in a room to tell you a totally different answer. But, but I'll give you my take is that I, I can definitely see, just as my two daughters who are four and six years old, uh, my cats and my dogs uh, display frustration over what appears to be an inequity <laughs> of mm -hmm. favors, of food, of attention, um, whether it's, it's the true experience of jealousy that a human might have where they're mulling over it, contemplating it, reasoning ways out of it. One might speculate a cat has that capability, but when you look at their, their actual anatomy of their brain, um, I, my guess is it's much simpler. Like, hey, that's something I want. I'm going to insert myself between it so that I have better access to it. So um, you can call that jealousy if you want, but I've definitely experienced it in my home um, with, with frustration, with, with inequities. The reason I ask is because uh, 
I just unfortunately inherited a, a dog from uh, a relative who died, uh, an older dog, and my regular dog, um, who is a, a loving, wonderful animal, is obviously very jealous of the fact that this other one is getting some attention as well. He nudges him. He sometimes pushes himself in front of him. Uh, but w but much of your book deals with, and I'm throwing this out to all of you, uh, what happens when you bring a new cat into your home, a, an older cat or a kitten? Um, is it different with each cat? It is different uh, with each cat, but cats also care about their territory in a different way. And uh, so that bringing a new cat in is about many things. I don't think the first thought the cat has is, you're going to take my my human from me, but they are concerned mm -hmm. about their environment, who else is in it, and they don't normally live in big social groups. They do have social groups, but they're among known quantities. And I would say that all of us would agree that people have brought dogs into the house that didn't fit into their social group either. So Anybody want to add to that? I would say that's true, and I think probably what's different about how we um, socialized cats and dogs is that we, we tend to take our dogs places. Well, maybe pre COVID, we, we, mm -hmm. we, we walked them. People. We walked them. We met at dog parks. So dogs tend to get more social exposure to other dogs when they're young, when it, when it matters. Whereas I feel like with cats, sometimes they're at a disadvantage there where we aren't taking them to cat parks. We're not having kitten parties typically, although there are clinics that will offer kitten kindergartens, which I, I am very supportive of. Um, so they miss out on that social opportunity to learn to enjoy group life in some circumstances. And so if you have an adult older cat who really just doesn't have a repertoire of, of amicable social behavior with other cats, they, they may struggle with that when you bring that new kitten in. I, I've had a lot of clients say, well, my older cat is lonely, or I've got two older cats and I'm worried that one's going to pass away and the younger one needs a friend, and they mm -hmm. bring in a kitten that wreaks havoc on their, their life. So it, it's, it's all about matching personalities, just like choosing our human roommate, right? Sometimes people are compatible and some people aren't. Some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Some cats thrive on social interactions with other cats, and some really detest it and prefer just interactions with humans. So it's a very intricate uh, um, formula to try to figure out. But, um, you know, I think the, the moral of the story is, is that you want to go based on your individual cat's needs, and you always want to proceed slowly that the introduction is gradual. Because as Dr. Horowitz mentioned, there's, there's a territorial aspect to that. I mean, there's there's a major change that comes with sharing space and, and resources. And so there's actually a study by um, one of our colleagues, Dr. Emily Levine, that talked about, you know, the likelihood of cats getting along later is highly dependent on how well that introduction goes. So if you take it really slowly, as we outline in our book, um, and really take care to make sure those two cats learn to trust each other, are eased into each other's territories, you have much greater likelihood of success long term. Dr. Siracusa, how much is handling the pet owner a part of your job? <laughs> it, is, it is an important part of our job. Uh, actually, uh, the behavior problems uh, can be divided in, in, in two big categories, right? One uh, big group are behaviors that are abnormal uh, in cats or in dogs, for that matter, uh, and the other big group are behaviors that are normal but that are perceived as a problem by the owner. So a lot uh, of um, uh, 
the, the treatment uh, that, that we do is based on uh, sort of building the, the relationship between the pet and the owner in a way that uh, is respectful of the, of the pet, of the cat, but also it matches what is the owner expectation. Uh, so there is there is a lot there is a complex system that that we work with, uh, which uh, which considers all uh, these characteristics. So it's our job uh, to listen to everybody. Right, we are the voice of the cat, the voice of the dog, uh, because we are prepared to understand uh, their uh, their behavior and communication and explaining to the owner, and then finding a compromise that will work for, um, uh, for the whole family, for the entire family. So there is a lot of work, a lot of conversation, yeah. and definitely we need to have the, 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 the owner on our side to build this relationship. We're talking about training, and there was a train. <laughs> we heard a train whistle there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> veterinarian behaviorists are called last responders in this book. Do most people consult the Internet first? And is that a, a good place to find useful information? Oh, the internet is not. Dr. Google. Um, you, you, you're, I, I don't know which one of you just responded, but you're, you're saying you're all agreeing that the internet is not the best place to go? Yeah, the internet, I would say, is not, it's not necessarily the best place to go. Not because there is not necessarily good information. There is some good information, but because for people it's often difficult to decide what is valid and good information and what is not. Uh, so, uh, for example, one, one of the criteria that they might use is to um, get information from uh, uh, academic institution or association. Many shelters, for example, they have uh, information on their webpage, uh, which is reliable. There has to be some form of peer review that is uh, a, a page where uh, the material that is that is being posted on is being reviewed by people that have a science-based understanding, and uh, that's the most difficult thing: is navigating the web and finding what what really is a reputable source. In our uh, college webpage, uh, the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, the the, the webpage is dacvb dot org. Uh, there is uh, uh, like some materials, some links, and starting point that can that then can direct people to other reliable sources. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI, and I'm speaking with the three authors uh, of a, a new book called "Decoding Your Cat." Doctors Megan Heron, Deborah Horowitz, and Carlo Siracusa. Uh, "Decoding Your Cat: The Ultimate Experts Explain." common cat behaviors and reveal how to prevent or or change unwanted ones and we invite you to um give us a call if you have any questions for my guests the number is 212-209-2877 what kind of behaviors would lead uh let's go to you uh dr horowitz what kind of uh, behaviors would lead someone to uh to take the cat to a behaviorist there are many unwanted behaviors that our pets do that humans don't like. And, for example, with young kittens, they're everywhere. They climb mm. on things. They 
They knock things off. And so sometimes we have clients seek out our help for normal behaviors that are problems, that are really just understanding how to provide for the normal needs of the cat. And that's the other problem with Dr. Google. You don't really have a diagnosis of what's causing the problem. And that's one of the things we try to focus on is the problem and normal behavior that's being expressed in a way that's annoying to the client. For example, scratching the furniture. Or I used to have a cat uh, when I uh, uh, let that cat out of the house, it invariably came back uh, with a dead bird and dropped it in the kitchen for me. Uh, now that's not the kind of, that's the kind of behavior I would have assumed would be more likely of dogs, but, uh, the, the, the cat was giving me a present, wasn't it? Well, cats are very prodigious hunters. And so they may take what they hunt back to where they live. If they're not hungry, which a house cat wouldn't necessarily be hungry, then yes, they take it back, store it to eat a little later. But that is a behavior that many pet owners don't like. It may be something that happens because the cat doesn't have any other outlet in their house to express this normal hunting behavior. One of the things we do advocate is having the cats hunt for their food. and It doesn't fly. It doesn't make noise, but you can hide it around the house. You can provide feeders. They have to knock around with their paws. And cats need to be understood that some of the behaviors we don't like, we can provide a way to express it inside the home that's not a problem for the owner. Are, are there certain types of cats due to their breed or their age uh, when they're adopted that tend to have more problems? For example, maybe pure breed or, or mixed breed, Dr. Heron? Yeah, I, I would say certainly with age, it's going to come uh, much higher problems of a number of um, physical ailments or disease that may change their behavior. Um, but breed-wise, for, for sure, I mean, um, you know, as we select for physical appearance in a lot of our, our breeds, we also inherently get behavioral traits that tend to stand out, and certain breeds get a reputation over others. For example, Siamese getting the reputation of being very vocal, and that has been my experience as well, very talkative. As we have changed the genetics of that particular breed, we have selected for cats that are very communicative with their voice, <laughs> which may be different than another breed. Um, I Myself, my last turbo cat was a sphinx. And I was not prepared for his personality, I will tell you what. <laughs> um, he was a wild man. Um, I, had to, I was on my toes because the, the prey drive was intense, the social need was intense, and so it was, you know, really devoting your life to cat for a majority of your day, at least through that first year of kittenhood, and really providing for some of these, you know, all domestic cats, whether they're domestic short hair, long hair, you know, your typical kind of mutt sort of quote-unquote cat have these needs for for, I kind of say, you know, uh, scratching, chewing, hunting, and viewing as their, their main needs in the house. But, but some of these purebreds have an even greater need. Or you look at a cat like a Bengal, for example, that actually has, you know, wild cat genetics purposely put into it. And so that hunting need, mm. that scratching need, I mean, is, is, is dramatically more intense in some of those cats than it might be, say, a domestic short hair cat. We have a, a number of listeners calling in. Again, the number is 212-209-2877. Let's go to the first caller. BAI, you're on the air. Hello, you're on the air. 
uh, one of the problems we have sometimes when people call in is they're listening to their radio and there's a delay. Uh, so if you're calling in, uh, it's best probably to uh, talk to us through the phone. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, okay well. It looks like we'll go to the next caller then. We're going to go to the next caller. BAI, you're on the air. Oh. Hi. Hello? Hi, how are you? Okay. Good. Glad that you're there. Thank you. I have a question about cats, of course. I love cats. I don't have any. Actually, I have about 10 statues of them in the house. But my question is about outside cats. There are two cats, and I and my neighbors feed them. I was told that outside cats, if you notice one of their ears are straight, it means it's been clipped, so they've been neutered or spayed. I'd like to know if that's true. Also, one of the cats, will let me pet her, and then after I feed her, she just turns her little self away and walks off. The other cat will not let me pet him, and he looks at me and he'll meow at me, but will not let me touch him. I think he knows I'm not going to hurt him, but I was just wondering if he could have, this might sound nuts, but if he got some kind of post-traumatic stress, if he did have his ear clipped, and the other thing is, when I pull into the driveway, into the backyard, they know my car. Mm. Um, I'll okay, you, anybody want to answer? I'll Thank answer you. It. <laughs> uh, first of all, if the cats are living outside full time, um, yes. some are there because they've been abandoned. Some are there because they grew up outside. They may become used to people being near them, especially if they feed them, but they're not used to being touched by people because they've never had that. So your cat may not may like to be around you because you feed him, but he doesn't want to be petted. And I'm sure there are other people who could phone into this program and tell them, well, I have a cat I adopted from a kitten, and he doesn't like to be petted. Not mm -hmm. all cats are cuddle kitties. That's number one. Many trap, neuter, and release organizations do put a, a V in the ear to say that the cat has been... Uh, neutered. So depending on what it looks like, it could be a mark. But of course, cats that live outside, you get into fights. So they mm -hmm. could have a fight that destroyed part of their ear. Thank you so much for your call. Oh, you're welcome. We're going to go to another caller. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Let me get you off. Okay. You're there. Okay. Hi. Um, I have a, my, I call her my granddaughter now, because we always had cats when we lived as a family in one apartment, but then my last cat, um, how many, uh, like maybe three years ago, passed away, my flower, who was my love of my life, and my daughter, though, while flower was alive, she was 10, my daughter brought home a one-month-old kitten, because flower's sister died um, at seven. And I always said, we're never getting another cat until flower passes. And that's how I always did. I would always get two sisters at, um, you know, um, the shelter, and then one would die first. And this is how it went on, like three sets of cats since my kids are they're 33 and 28. Anyway, my, <clears throat> my daughter decides to come home with a month-old kitten, and it was rescued under a car. Her friends found it. And I said, no, don't bring it here. I'm sorry, because Flower is 10 years old, and you're not going to disturb Flower. Flower was the most wonderful, lovable cat. P.S., she brings her, and now what? So, um, anyway. Problems. 
Well, well, the pro- well, no, Flower hated her. <laughs> and Flower, let me tell you, is the most lovable cat, but she literally, she hated Piper. And it made Piper, I don't know if it made Piper aggressive or maybe being under a car. I don't know what it is with Piper. She sees black garbage bags. She just, anyway, she's a calico. Now, Flower had gotten cancer, and I did the unfortunate, try to keep her alive as best I could, and Anyway, don't ever do that. No chemo. Don't ever do that. That was a mistake, but my girls didn't want me to put her down. But I took her off and gave her palliative care at the end. Anyway, so now Flower's gone. But Piper, she's calico, and she is gorgeous, but there's no hugging. There's no kissing. There's no loving. I used to dance with Flower. And so now my daughter moved downstairs, so Piper lives down there, her litter box and all. But she visits me. I call Grandma. She comes up on my porch when my daughter goes to work. Yeah, you're all. touching on an awful lot of stuff, and we have a lot I know, of callers coming in. I want to get another. I want to get a kitten for myself, but I feel again this is not going to work because Piper just walks right in the doggy door. You know, I can't cut her off. So, what do you recommend with that? You know, that's my. Okay. I, I miss the loving of a kitten, but. You know, I don't feel that. I understand. In fact, we are going to go uh, in in a we're going to go a little later into one of the essays in the book that gives a list of cat behaviors and describes what they mean, like affiliative behaviors, friendly intent, uh, pilo erection, um, meow codes and the like. But uh, uh, do one of you want to answer our caller's uh, question there? I I can answer it. Go ahead, please. Yeah, it's uh, uh, well, first of all. Um, one one of the main principles that we have to always consider uh, with animal behavior is that uh, all animals are different. They are individual, like, like humans, right? Because we are all people, it doesn't mean that we all like the same things or tolerate the same thing or, 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 or interact in the same way. So uh, we, we uh, grow older with our pets and we are used to their behavior and then there is always this surprise effect when we get uh, another pet and we say, well, it's not like the previous one. This is normal. And uh, I have to say that uh, the behavior that the new, the Calico Kitty, I, I think her name is Princess, uh, is showing it's normal for a cat. Uh, it's uh, uh, like cats are not, um, uh, uh, Evolutionarily, they are not uh, uh, social animals. Like, they have not been social animals for a long time. They have learned. And they, their genetics has, uh, also has changed with time, so they have adapted to be social animals with humans and other cats, but still they have limitations. And, uh, and one of the limitations that they actually have is that they don't like a lot uh, physical interaction. In, the physical interaction is brief, like they rub, they bump their head a bunch of times, but then they walk away most of the time. Uh, we humans as a species, we are the opposite. We are very physical. The caller was saying that she used to dance with the other cat, which is something. She was actually very lucky that, that the other cat was tolerating, accepting, or even liking, I don't know, that, that type of behavior. But I have to say that probably... The previous cat more, uh, was more of an outlier. <laughs> uh, like many cats do not like to be hugged, do not like to be kissed, because, again, it's not, uh, it's not normal behavior for them. It's, they, they consider it rude, confrontational. That said, uh, I understand uh, the need to have a, 
a, a cat, they, they can be hugged, they can be more physical. Introducing another kitten is possible, uh, as long as it's done, as, as Dr. Heron was saying, very gradually. Probably now that the, the, the calico kitten is, is still young, it's, it's a good idea. But, but let's keep in mind one thing. The, the, the new kitten is coming with its temperament, with its personality, and uh, it might not necessarily be the cat that we can hug and kiss. So you you can't always tell because uh, I've had experiences. I had a cat that used to, when I got into bed, it would then climb into bed with me and then snuggle up against me, put its face into my armpit. And it was a problem because it it not only purred loudly, but it also, uh, it drooled. Uh, So suddenly in the wintertime, it was rather cold in my armpit. But uh, that was one kind of cat. Other cats, yeah, didn't want to even be close. Uh, They they vary as much as, as even perhaps more than dogs do, don't they? Yeah, and I would say sometimes that's the benefit of adopting an adult. You know, you could think about looking into a young adult cat that is living in a foster home or living with someone and has a known personality. So that's one uh-huh. benefit of, of going for an adult rather than a kitten. That's all I'll throw in. But still, the introduction should be gradual either way. We have to take a little break. But we'll come back with more of this and take more calls from our listeners. Uh, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We're online at WBAI.org. Watching all the birds go passing by He'd love to fly out the window Go where the wind goes And so would I Okay, well, before we get back to my conversation with doctors Megan E. Aaron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Saracusa, I need to take a few minutes to talk to you about something very important. Like most public radio stations across the country, WBAI has been hit hard by the pandemic, and many of our longtime supporters have had to drop their support for the station for financial reasons, which is why we are asking anyone who is able to in this time of crisis to step up and make a contribution of any amount to help keep community radio and London Lopit at large on the air and coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. The way to do that is by calling 516-620-3602 right now or by going online to give to WBAI.org. And uh, becoming a sustaining member of WBAI, what we call a BAI buddy, is a great way to support the station without having to lay out a lot of money at any one time. We have a special offer for anyone who becomes a BAI buddy today in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. If you call, 516-620-3602 516-620-3602 or go to give to wbai.org today we will be happy to send you a free copy of the book that we are discussing decoding your cat the ultimate experts explain common cat behaviors and reveal how to prevent or change unwanted ones again all you need to do is to call that number 516-620-3602 or go online to give to wbai.org and sign up at the monthly amount of $10, $15, $20, whatever you're comfortable with to be taken out of your credit card, your debit card, or whatever is easiest for you. And, th- and that's it. 
We will take care of the rest. Again, if you become a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large right now, we'll send you a free copy of Decoding Your Cat by my guests, doctors and veterinarian experts, Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Saracusa as our way of saying thanks. Becoming a BAI buddy is a great way to support this show and give the station a steady source of support because we are the only station on the New York radio dial that is completely listener-sponsored. We have no corporate underwriting, no funding grants of any kind. We don't take ads. One last time, the number to call is 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org online. And please make sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. And from all of us at the station, thank you. And now I am returning to my guests. Uh, Drs. Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Saracusa talking about their book, Decoding Your Cat, The Ultimate Experts Explain Common Cat Behaviors and Reveal How to Prevent or Change Unwanted Ones Again. And we're going to get to some more of your calls in just a moment, but I want to go through some of the behaviors that you list here so that we uh, listeners will know perhaps uh, what what the, what they're concerned about is all about. I do want to give out that number, 212-209-2877. So as I said, one of the early essays in the book gives a list of cat behaviors and describes what they mean. Maybe we can go through some of them. What's the definition of affiliative behaviors? Those are things that cats do when they like each other and when they like people. So sometimes they come up to you and they rub against you. They mm-hmm. lay next to you. They may lick you. And those are affiliative behaviors or behaviors that say, I like you. So, and how and why does a cat express aggression or the message that they want you to go away or, or they want another cat to go away? Well, they might hiss at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may just leave. Sometimes cats really can be very subtle. They may change the way their ears are, put them back. A very common sign that cats are frustrated is a quick flicking back and forth of the tail. That's not a cat wagging their tail. It's really a way of a cat saying, I'm excited about or frustrated or not happy about something. But it does confuse dogs because dogs wag their tails when they're happy, and then they see a cat wagging its tail and assume that they're getting a different message than they're really getting. I don't think it confuses dogs. (laughs) What about... What about piloerection, a weird name? What is that? Uh, piloerection is when uh, the cat puts off. You know what a Halloween cat looks like when they're curved, mm-hmm. their body's curved, and they puff up? Mm-hmm. That's the ability that, that dogs and cats and other animals have to raise their hair up, and they look bigger. So when you look bigger, you're trying to threaten and say, look how big I am and Often mm. dogs and cats are growling and showing their teeth and basically saying, I'm upset. Do you want to mess with me? So <laughs> that uh, up like that. Don't cats use pheromones to communicate with other members of the same species? What sorts of things do they communicate? Actually, uh, all, all mammals are going to communicate with pheromones, not, not just cats. So We do um, as well, although I'm, I'm unaware that somebody is communicating with me through pheromones. Well, it's very vestigial in people, but, you know, you've heard, you know, the old tale about 30 women, you know, living uh, in a sorority house together and what happens. Um, there's some sort of communication that, that happens that we suspect is through pheromonal detection, but we don't have the um, you know, well-developed pheromonasal organ that mammals have where they 
can really detect small bits of pheromones. So pheromones are semiochemicals or very non-volatile, meaning they stick around, these chemicals that are secreted by different part bodily secretions. So for cats, it may be in their urine, maybe their anal gland secretions. Their cheeks are a great source of pheromones. When cats are rubbing their cheek on you, they are depositing pheromones. Between the pads of their feet, when they are scratching and they are leaving not only a visual message, they are also leaving pheromonal deposits as well as scent marks So to communicate. So what they can do is a way to communicate with other members of their same species without having to be in the same room or at the same time because these pheromones are going to stick around for days, if not weeks. Um, our, one of our founders, Dr. Kathy Halpt, I love one of her quotes, is saying, pheromonal communications for cats is like email to humans. We want to send a message. You know, it may take a while till you actually read it, but at some point you're going to get it. Um, and it's all sorts of things like, you know, certain kind of individual characteristics, like I am a 7.5-pound male looking for calico female. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of sexual communication that's normal there. But it could also be sort of emotional, how I'm feeling right now, communication that is, it goes into, um, in, so for example, cats that urine mark, um, one of the biggest motivations for that, if it's not a medical problem, um, is stress. So cats will spray urine when they're feeling stressed. They're depositing pheromones and scents that say, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm scared, I'm anxious, whatever causing is causing that stress. They're leaving messages there, both for themselves and for other cats that may want to read that message later. So that really, suggests that a really sense of smell is central to a cat's me- means of communication. You wanted to add something, Dr. Siracusa? Is that, were you just about to talk? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, the sense of smell? Uh, how can a pet owner become well, aware of the sense that influence their cat's uh, behavior? So some, some pheromones, they do come with a smell that people can perceive. So the typical example is what Dr. Heron was describing, so uh, urine marking. And actually, this is why most cats get neutered, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the, the smell of that pheromone, it's, uh, it's, it's very uh, aggressive to, to, the, uh, to people's nose. But, but not all pheromones, they come with a smell. For example, uh, I think cats uh, do deposit... Uh, uh, a lot of pheromones on humans when they bunt on people, right? When they use their head, their cheeks, mm-hmm. and uh, we we um, uh, we think that this is a a, a love uh, expression, and sometimes it is. It is an affiliative mm-hmm. behavior, as Dr. Always was saying, but uh, it's also a marking behavior. So well. I always tell to my students and clients, so think, like cats, they do rub a lot on furniture. So do they mean that they love furniture too? Well, not necessarily, <laughs> right? Uh, so it, it depends uh, who people are, how familiar they are, how new they are. Sometimes if we have guests, for example, cats might also be rubbing on their legs, on furniture, their clothes because they want to increase the control over the environment, feel that an environment is not stressful, is under control. Of course, if it happens with, with the owners and it uh, happens frequently, that is more likely to be an affiliative behavior. But in that case, there is no smell associated. Like, we don't really smell anything. It's a, it's a signal that the, uh, uh, the cat produces for, for its own species and for him or herself, too. So to the, the pheromones deposited, they all they also have the same cat to feel better in uh, in his or her own environment. 
We have a, a lot of people calling in, and uh, I want to get to as many calls as I can. I, I request uh, the listeners try to keep your question short so that we can take as many calls as, as we uh, are able to within the, the limited time of this show. Let's go to one right now. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. I've had go ahead. A, quite a, I've had quite a number of cats, and uh, I have lots and lots of cat stories. And uh, uh, some of my cats have been exceptionally uh, acrobatic. And there were two who used to stand off and, and fight, but they would face each other off, almost touching each other, looking at each other. And then one of them would do a backflip before they would get into their wrestling match. And he, would, he was exceptional in other ways, too. Um, he would uh, climb ladders and up onto the roof. I would be working on the roof, and he'd, he'd come up right behind me and uh, also come up on a scaffolding and hang out with me there for a while and then go back down and, and hunt outside. And another cat did herself damage. She was uh, young and also very acrobatic, and she would run the full length of the house and do a sudden right turn and, and jump at the same time, fly through the air, uh, and land on the porch. And I'm speculating that this is how she did herself uh, damage. Uh, it was at night, and I try to get them in at night, but don't always succeed. And she, I think, hit the edge of a, a banister and gave herself a concussion. And I had ended up keeping her in the uh, vet's hospital for, uh, I think it was almost two weeks, and no uh, improvement. So I ended up taking her over 200 miles to New Haven, Connecticut, for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And lo and behold, that was extremely successful. And whereas before she couldn't hold down food, she had no balance, she couldn't stand. Afterwards, uh, she can she can walk, she can gallop, she can trot. She has uh, just a slight uh, loss of control in her back haunches, but otherwise, oh. Okay, well, let's get our guests into this. Uh, does this uh, sound, this story sound familiar to any of you? Well, cats can be very acrobatic, and they're not always wise, so they can hurt themselves. Uh, my cat that I told you that likes to retrieve, I have to take the toys away because she jumps down so often that she'll start limping, and she'll keep mm. doing it. So, yes, cats can injure themselves because they're, they're very interested in where they're going and what they're doing, and just like dogs, they just keep doing it because it's pleasurable and they disregard the fact that there might be something that's harmful for them in doing that. So, yeah, that can happen. Thank you so much for your call. Let's go to another caller. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, you're on the air. Hi, Mike. Thank you. Hi, thank you for having this show. I love BAI, and I love cats, and my question is about play aggression. Back in December, I adopted a four-month-old kitten from a shelter, and they told me that he was play aggressive, but that it would be fine if I just redirected him with toys. And so I tried that, but he, they told me that he never learned to keep his claws retracted because he wasn't around siblings. He was found by himself in the wild. So 
he would really scrape my legs to the point of bleeding, like to the point of needing, you know, care, like Band-Aids. And um, it was getting, what was hard about it was that he's also this very loving cat. He wasn't just aggressive. He was very loving, heard a lot, and I felt this deep connection with him. So um, returning him was not an option, but it was getting to this point of, I don't know how I can continue to live with this when he would constantly stalk my feet and scratch me um, or bite my arm if I was sitting at the table pretty aggressively. Um, and I tried to keep up 15 minutes of play a day, but I, with him with strings and, and things like that, but I couldn't always get that in. And um, I tried CBD oil and a pheromone collar, and the vet and the shelter both suggested that he needed a playmate, that he needed a little bit of an older um, kitten to come in and sort of teach him how to play with retracting his claws. So I did that, and it actually worked. And it's been four months, but the behavior is starting to escalate again and to the point where um, it's almost intolerable, the, the, the aggression. And also, with I haven't had people over because of COVID, but, you know, eventually when I have guests again, I would like to not worry if my cat's going to attack yeah. them. Um, so it has been suggested to me to make a loud noise or to grab them by the scruff on the neck. Neither have worked. Neither feel right, to be honest. Um, so well, let's see what our experts suggest. Yeah, thank you. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're getting scratched uh, to pieces, it sounds like. Um, but we, we see these cases quite frequently, and it's, it's a common reason why, why people are going to return that kitten. And, you know, kudos to you for really speaking with your veterinarian and trying to find ways to help make this work because clearly there's, there's a bond there between the two of you. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, getting we, we get asked all the time for a number of behavior problems. Would getting another pet solve the problem? You know, would getting another dog help a dog with separation anxiety? Um, it, you know, giving another animal company, is that going to prevent them from spraying urine in the house? And typically the answer is no. With the exception of play aggression in kittens, that is one thing we find is helped by the addition of another kitten who shares the same play drive. And so it sounds like you had some initial reprieve when you did that, um, because typically kittens are accepting of another kitten and they, they take it out on each other. But I don't know that it necessarily teaches them to retract their claws or that the behavior towards people isn't, isn't desirable any longer. Cause it sounds like it went on for quite a while and your kitten learned that you were the source of, of entertainment, which it, if, if what you're describing is true, it sounds like the motivation is sort of self entertainment play. If he's going through that sequence of stalking silently watching you and then pouncing and, and scratching, um, then, then it is sort of a misguided play behavior. Um, well, that sounds pretty intense. You know, we, there are some studies showing that male kittens, particularly singletons, may be more prone to this type of behavior, at least to that in, intensity. Um, and uh, what it sounds like to me is you, you, may, you may need a reprieve. Your kitty may need a little a haven. And so I don't know if where you live is conducive to that, but sometimes creating an area where all of the cats need, and the kittens could potentially be together where there's food, water, scratching posts, you know, that scratching, hunting, viewing, chewing, every, every option that they have, and you are spending time with them, but there's times where you give yourself a break. Um, and I also will, t also will tell people to sort of have these little stations 
um, at corners. Because often what cats love to do is they love when you have a long hallway that they will stop. They'll kind of sit at the edge of it waiting for you to go by out of sight so that they can grab you when you're least expecting it. And so I'll tell people to make hang little baskets with little crinkle toys, any toy, what toys that draw your cat's attention. Um, in some cases, I've even had people use a laser pointer. Um, and we can talk about laser pointers and some of the caveats later, but something well, we that means that attack this, attack this, go there instead of my legs. Sometimes redirecting that behavior rather than trying to punish the behavior, which sounds like hasn't been successful to you, is more effective. Because the problem with trying to punish that, grabbing by the scruff, is you may then not only have a play aggression problem, but you're going to develop a fear aggression problem, which can end up being much more devastating. So, we don't have a lot of time, so I want to get to some of the uh, the, the basic things like uh, when's the best time to adopt a cat early as a kitten, uh, and then how uh, old if you if you believe in uh, um, adopting kittens, uh, male or female? Should we go to an open admission shelter or limited admission shelter or a rescue group? Uh, in, in about uh, uh, two minutes, can you uh, answer some of those questions? And I didn't even get to the whole business of, of training a cat to use a box, but uh, well, I can answer that. There's so much. Maybe we have to do a follow-up to this show sometime in the near future. Go ahead. Kittens should usually come knowing how to eliminate in loose material, which is the litter box. So if you put the kitten in a place where the litter box is accessible to them and the appropriate size with a lower size, not a big one, they will naturally go over there and start to use it. So I can answer that part of it, and I will let my colleagues take one of the other ones. About about when when to adopt them, when's the best time, kitten or an adult, or uh, and and from from where, whether it's better to uh, to go to uh, an open admission shelter, a limited admission shelter, a rescue group? I'm going to say the short, the short the short answer to that question is to read chapter two of our book <laughs> because that's a long answer. It depends on the individual, depends on what you're looking for. Um, it depends if you're wanting to know the parents of your kitten or you want to, you know, help out the rescue world. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of cats that die every year from homelessness, right? There just aren't enough homes for them. So rescuing a cat is kind of one for the greater good. And there's always plenty of kittens, but chapter two really talks about that. What's, what are the differences between shelters and rescues? What does open admission, limited admission mean? Um, wh what does it mean to get a kitten versus an adult? Again, I talked about earlier how getting an adult cat is a bit of a known entity, particularly if they're already in a foster home and someone knows their personality. Whereas with a kitten, you don't know what you're going to get. You get the fun of having a kitten. You get the you know, ability to socialize them to your lifestyle, but, but that comes with a lot more maintenance, typically. What about uh, purebred cats as opposed to... Um, a uh, something that's a little bit of everything and are some breeds more prone to genetic problems or diseases i'm gonna let Carla I can take, take that, that one, one. <laughs> yeah as, as a as a former cat breeder and cat judge uh so um what about uh, uh different breeds of of cats well first of all something uh that is related to what we were saying before about adopting if you go for a purebred cat, then go to a reputable breeder. So I would uh, uh, discourage, uh, in general, people to get uh, purebred cats from uh, uh, like large uh, commercial breeders or mm. online uh, platforms. Uh, so usually a, a family breeder 
someone that has cats living with them, with other cats, with kids, uh, uh, it's, it gives a better outcome. Just because the kittens, they were exposed uh, uh, to all the stimuli that will be a normal part of their environment. But also, let's keep in mind another thing. Behavior is not only the results of behavior things that happen to a cat, but it's also the result of the medical condition of, of that cat, of the mother, and in general, how, how good the environment is from a health standpoint. We have now plenty of evidence that uh, um, animals that have been exposed to an uh, to a, a unhealthy and sanitary environment uh, they are also animals that can have uh, more behavioral and medical problems. So for all these uh, uh, characteristics, usually someone that has a small number of animals and keep them home is the best way to go. That said, I, I have to leave it there, unfortunately. We've run oh, out of time. Okay. Would you believe yeah. it? There's so much more to talk about, but that's why I guess people should pick up this book. It's called Decoding Your Cat. And uh, it's from the American College of Veterinary, Veterinary Behaviorists. My great thanks to uh, our three guests, Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa, for being such wonderful guests. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, the book, by the way, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Thanks for having Thank you again. Me. My pleasure. Hey, great Thank to be you. here. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to segment producer Fran Higgins, who prepared today's interview. And special thanks to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to my executive producer, Jesse Lent, for all the important work that they do throughout the week. If you're new to this program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org, or even today's show. You can, uh, you can pick it up later. And we're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter. And our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you'll find links to all of our past shows. And you can write to me at my email address, LeonardLopate at WBAI.org, if you want to comment on a show or just to say hello. Before I sign off today, I want to take one last moment to ask you for your support for this station. If you care about Leonard Lopate at Large and all the great programs on WBAI, we need your help to keep it all going. Please step up right now and make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable giving by going online to give to WBAI.org or calling 516-620-3602. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you become a BAI buddy today by making a monthly contribution in the name of London Located at Large, we will be delighted to send you a free copy of the book that we've been discussing, Decoding Your Cat by my guests, Drs. Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa. As a way of saying thank you for your generosity. Uh, but please make sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. And we hope that you'll join us on Monday when Rebecca Tickell, Josh Tickell, and Ian Summerhalder will discuss their star-studded new documentary, Kiss the Ground. Have a great weekend. <laughs>